Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast, FYI. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. It is the 3rd of November, 2022, at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The inquiry into the use of the Federal Emergency Act is underway, or well underway. Thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How has everybody been? I can say I've just been okay. And that's probably why, you know, um, I think it's been like a week and a half that has has gone by. Um, I did take a break. Um, personal, personal matters. Um, it's basically why, uh, but here I am, um, doing okay. I hope you're doing great. I hope you've had a good week so far. A lot of things have been happening, um, since I've been, you know, away from the microphone, but paying attention to what is going on, you know, in my province of Ontario. Canada. One of the biggest things going on right now is the school, the um, support workers for for the educational teachers, the union and the government have come together butting heads. It's actually pretty ugly. It's really unfortunate that when the government and unions can't come to an agreement on, on something. This one in particular is in wages. The union was asking for something like 11.75% increase yearly for the next four years or a $3.25 raise every single year for the next four years for 55,000 support workers in the education system. The government claims that comes out to something like $27 billion using the percentage of 11.75. And the union says, well, it's much lower because we're using the dollar amount. They asked in meeting over about $17 billion over the four years. I mean, this is taxpayers' money. This isn't government money. 
those taxpayers who, who pays into the educational system. When you pay your property tax, you either support the Catholic school board or you support the public school board. It's a high number. It's a really high number. And of course, you know, the government is not going to go for that. You know, so over the last few weeks, they've been butting heads and, you know, the government wants them to come back with a more reasonable offer and um, they, you know, the union, the, the workers, they're in a legal strike position. If the collective, uh, the collective agreements or collective bargaining somehow, you know, is slowly moving forward and they don't seem to be getting any headway and stuff like that, they're still in a legal strike position. It's part of the due process when we're, when we're negotiating contracts. Everybody should have a fair shake. It's the labor movement. And, you know, back, you know, like, you know, when we have Labor Day and, and the people who, who you know, stood up against government and said enough is enough and we're forming a union and you know we're going to have the right to strike and we're going to do these things so unfortunately ladies and gentlemen the Strike is um, unfortunately going to happen, and, and unfortunately, um, with the government um, passing a bill making it illegal for the support workers. but they're not able to strike. So what this means is with the Ontario passes the back to work bill on the eve of the educational workers strike, what this means is that the Ontario government has passed legislation imposing a four year contract on educational support workers and making a planned strike by tens of thousands of educational workers on Friday illegal bill 28 or keeping the students in class act uses the notwithstanding clause to legislate a contract onto workers while making it illegal to take part in any job action the bill was tabled on monday just passed and it was passed this afternoon So I talked about the notwithstanding clause in the Charter the Rights and Freedoms of Canada. And when they overhauled the Constitution of Canada back in the early 80s and made it the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, 
premiers across all 10 provinces and three territories wanted this notwithstanding clause put in the Charter Rights and Freedoms, which gives premiers um, the however way they want to put it, they can change whatever they don't like in the Charter Rights and Freedoms taking away some rights by using the notwithstanding clause, which means it is not a legal challenge. This Ford government is not the first government to use the notwithstanding clause. And this premier of this government is, you know, he has threatened to use it in the past. This time he put it into action. The Quebec premier used the notwithstanding clause when it, when it, when it came to religious attire. So people from other countries, you know, people who wear turban or people who wear the hijab or people who wear the scarf, who work in public sectors, like in, like, uh, in, in, in schools, government buildings, using the notwithstanding clause prevents them from wearing what is, is their really right to wear. This is who they are. This is their religion. This is what they wear, but not working in the public sector or government in the province of Quebec, according to the premier. So we use the notwithstanding clause. So this government here in Ontario, this notwithstanding clause, so they are now, so, so, so the support workers of teachers, um, if they go, if they walk off the job tomorrow, it'll be an illegal strike. So by passing this legislation, imposing a four-year contract on the educational support workers and making a planned strike by tens of thousands of educational workers tomorrow illegal. So this Bill 28, or the Keeping Students in Class Act, uses the notwithstanding clause to legislate a contract onto workers while making it illegal to take any job action. Now, in like the other day, or I think it was like Tuesday, you know, the, the government was saying, you know, yes, we want to talk, the, the union, yes, we want to talk. Government says, come back with another, another proposal. They come back with another proposal. And then the government says, you know, before we make any decisions, um, you take the strike mandate off the table. That kind of why, why would the government even suggest that? They're in the legal strike position. Why would they take it off the table? So the union says, we're not taking that off the table. We're in the legal strike position. Legal strike decision.
Yes is come back with another offer, and then you come back with this. So that was the end of, uh, of the contract talks. So under the rights and charters of freedoms, you know, the, the right to, to um, collective bargaining, collective agreements, legal to strike by the government using the notwithstanding clause it takes all those rights away fundamental rights to strike have been taken away by the notwithstanding clause it cannot be legally challenged. Usually a government will turn around and, you know, not go to that extreme by pulling the ace out of their sleeve and using the notwithstanding clause. The teachers or or support workers of teachers like that, they would go on strike The negotiations would continue. And if it were to last about a week and there still made no headway, then the government generally would legislate them back to work. And while they go back to work, then they're, they're still negotiating because in some way and form, a contract has to come about. And it has to be agreed upon both parties. This is really unprecedented for the, you know, the province, you know, to come down, you know, with an iron fist and throw on that notwithstanding clause. The prime minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, said the other day that, you know, Um, this blatant misuse or overuse of this notwithstanding clause isn't right. Stating that the basic fundamental rights of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, collective bargaining, able to, to, to strike walk off the job, all taken away because of that notwithstanding clause. Now, whose fault is it for even having that in in the Charter's Rights and Freedoms? You know, because the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is for all Canadians. But somehow the, the federal government gave in to all the premiers of all 10 provinces and three territories gave in and said, okay, you know, we'll put the notwithstanding clause in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. But it's not to be abused. It's not a tool in the bag that you can just pull out anytime you feel like it. It was meant to be used when in extraordinary situations. 
you know, when with, with, with Quebec, with the premier of Quebec, you know, using the notwithstanding clause, like I said earlier about religion attire, working for the government in the public sector, that you can't wear your, your, uh, your religious attire and you use the notwithstanding clause, that is an overreach. And this time, it's the Ontario government premier because they're not getting their way and they're not going to, you know, settle a contract with a union. I mean, they were demanding a lot, you know, for, for a four year, uh, you know, collective agreement, they were asking, you know, 11.75% over the next four years or a $3.25 raise. I mean, that's what that would work out to be for 55,000 workers. The government estimated to be something around $28 billion dollars and the union and the union reps come back and say well that's they're saying the government is just you know ballooning that up using the percentage and we're using the dollar amount and our figures are much lower i think their figures came into something like 17 billion over four years for fifty-five thousand teacher support workers. Taxpayers' money. We pay taxes. That's how the government has money. How about asking people who pay the taxes, and of course, people work in the union, whatever, whatever job you're doing, we pay taxes. How well does that sit with people? And they're going to get a bang for their buck. We have to, would we have to raise taxes in order to flip that bill? And we, we pay enough taxes in this province. We're the most populated province in all of Canada. We have over half the population just in one province. I mean, with, 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 with the way that things are, are, are right now, you know, um, with the, the high cost of everything, inflation, I mean, I mean, this 11.75%, you know, sounds that they want to be right up with the inflation for each and every single worker. So if you're making... You know, on average, if they're if uh, 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 early childhood education worker was making twenty two dollars an hour, well, that's three twenty five over four years. That's over twelve dollars raise in four years. So it'll be up around forty three for uh, thirty four dollars an hour. You know, gee, I wish I could go to my employer and say, you know, 
I want an annual raise of $4 an hour for the next four years. So I want, at the end of the four years, I want it to be a total of $16 more an hour. My boss would just walk away laughing. But it's really unfortunate, you know, with the government, you know, tabling this Bill 28 and uses the notwithstanding clause to legislate a contract onto workers while making it illegal to take any job action. In the early stages of contract talks, and the government, the government's position is like, okay, you know what? The kids have been, <clears throat> you know, out of school, you know, missed a lot of school, you know, in, in the first two and, you know, two and a half years of this pandemic. Online learning, you know, was difficult for, you know, a lot of students. And now that, you know, the, the, the kids are all back in school and they want it to be a full year of learning. And hopefully we don't have any other disruptions. This is the, is the government's argument. The union side is more money. That's their argument. We want more money. Just like any union, you know, when workers get to go on strike, whether you're in the auto industry or in the transport in, or you're, you know, you're working for a federal regulated company or you're working for the railroad, you know, those, those are the types of things that the government can, you know, legislate back to work, you know, if contracts seem to be not going the way they should be going. And it doesn't look like there's going to be, you know, a conclusion in the short term. But the federal government isn't going to, it wouldn't use the notwithstanding clause. You know, the federal government uses the Federal Emergency Act, you know, on, on, on public disorder. So unfortunately, you know, they, you know, the union, you know, the, the, the support workers like that are going to walk off the job tomorrow. And unfortunately, it will be illegal. And the fines that are levied for a single worker is for up to $4,000 a day. And for the union, it's up to $500,000 a day in fines. It's crazy. It's a crazy world that we live in, you know. So now, this is something like the... Um, 
the 16th day of this inquiry into the federal government use of the Federal Emergency Act that they used back in in February of this year on the so-called Freedom Convoy, as I called it, the Karen Carnival. The inquiry has to be legally held. Because it's something really unprecedented that a prime minister would need to use that Federal Emergency Act. Calling, you know, that, that, um, protest or occupation as a lot of people start to call it in Ottawa of this year, back in January and February. Now they've, you know, I I listened to and I watched some of the testimonies, you know, from the onset, you know, with, um, with the uh, police, like the Ottawa Provincial Police, the Ontario Provincial Police, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and other security agencies, you know, it it seemed though, you know, not everybody was on the same page. And with the with the intelligence gathering and, and passing those intelligence on and ultimately ending up on on the desk of the Ottawa Police Services, the chief of police at the time. And him not really, you know, listening to to what they're telling him. And he's like, no, this is just going to be a weekend protest, like all protests, you know, and if you, something you don't like what the government is doing. So here in Canada, they'll ascend onto Ottawa, the capital of Canada. It's where the parliament buildings are and protest. Generally over the weekend, and they come there and they, they say their peace and then they go home. Now, back during the time when this whole thing started going with, with this um, rolling convoy coming from Western Canada, from, you know, out of Alberta, little smaller convoys out of Ontario and others from Quebec. And, you know, watching this on the news and, you know, this, this was going to thinking, you know, this is going to be huge, you know, and I was thinking to myself, I really hope that Ottawa is prepared for this. Do they really understand what is coming their way? 
And then, you know, names start to come out of the organizers. You know, Bill Barber, Tamara Lynch, Pat King. I thought, well, who are these people? You know, I, you know, so I, I did some research. Google search these people. Well, Bill Barber, he, you know, what come up with him, you know, he's a small business owner. He runs a small trucking company. Tamara, uh, Tamara Lynch uh, joined a separatist party. Uh, Pat King, well, he's just a real piece of work. This guy, you know, uh, decided to do some search on, on YouTube for Patrick King and, you know, it brought him up and all his rhetoric and, and racial um, remarks that he was making on social media outlets and really painted a whole, like kind of like a picture that these people are really not up to anything good. So, I mean, first of all, I mean, when you protest, what do you bring to a protest? Well, you bring your complaints, right? Then you bring your signs, you know, you and got your slogans on your signs. And you march around, you know, chanting, you know, peacefully and legally. You know, not being too disruptive. That's generally, you know, a protest. But who brings big tents, a makeshift stage for entertainment, bouncy castles, and hot tubs? to a protest. Now at the time nobody knew that was that was couldn't be part of it. I actually kind of you know thought it was kind of funny that you know people would bring up bouncy bouncy castles and and hot tubs and big tents you know, like a, a, a Ringley Brothers circus to a protest. So once that, you know, was unraveled and you, you start to see these things, you know, it wasn't going to be a weekend protest. They weren't just going to stay there for Saturday and Sunday and, you know, leave on Monday. I got to remember, you know, the larger uh, rolling convoy coming from Alberta to Ottawa is going to take them about five days. They're not going to travel all that distance. Five days, protest for two days, and then drive back five days. I can't understand why would anybody would think that was their idea of what is going to take place because in general that's 
what usually happens. Now, listen to some of the, uh, you know, so with, with with the police department, so so with with the, the the RCMP and the Ontario Provincial Police and the Ottawa Police Services and other security agencies, you know, it is passing all this information off and misinformation and and stuff, and is it, you know, it's like a bunch of steep. Um, um, I don't know how to describe it. They just keystone cops. Like chasing the burglar around and around and around the building and going back the other way and going the other direction and, and just can't catch him. It's, it, it, was, it was just unbelievable. When you hear these testimonies from from the RCMP, you hear these testimonies from the OPP, you hear the testimony you know, from the uh, from the Ottawa Police Services, and I'm thinking, what the hell is wrong with people? Why wouldn't you be on the same page when you've got an intelligence intelligence coming into you, and even with information on these organizers? You know, I, I thought to myself, you know, if they, uh, and I'm thinking, I mean, if they were just thinking that this is going to be a weekend protest, I said, like I said, you know, they got another thing coming and I hope they're prepared for it. And they were really unprepared for what was about to ascend under the capital of Canada. Now, there was a lot of um, power struggles with the Freedom Convoy organizers. really not good organizers. They have power struggles. I mean, you put people in charge of something and this is what you're in charge of and you're in charge of that. You know, we'll, 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 uh, we'll talk about it, you know. So this was uh, Barber. Like he was, he was like really the first one to take the stand and, he talked about how they were plagued with internal power struggles and that created fractures among the organizers from the get-go and made the group virtually uncontrollable. So he was the first protest organizer to testify at this, at this hearing. He also, like he said that um, he was 
you know, surprised that the Ottawa police allowed trucks to park on the street in front of Parliament on the onset of the protest and painted a picture of peaceful protest in contrast starkly with previous testimonies uh, of Ottawa officials and residents of, and the police. So obviously, smaller convoys from Ontario and Quebec, I mean, we can get to Ottawa in five hours from where I live. And depending where you live in Quebec, you know, or closer to Ottawa, a couple of hours, whatever the case may be. So all these smaller convoys were filling up the streets. Now, Barber was more, he says he was more, more like uh, uh, liaison. You know, he was working with, with the. He said he was working with the with the the planning with the uh, with the authorities and, you know, um, what's going to happen when they arrive there. In part of his testimony, he was saying that he was under the impression that they're going to have a couple staging areas. You know, outside of the city, for the trucks. But upon their arrival, the police were escorting them into the downtown where all the other trucks who arrived before them. So that's why he was saying he was surprised that the Ottawa police allowed the trucks to park on the streets in front of Parliament. Now, he also told the Enquirer that there was no one organizer of the various convoys as they descended towards Ottawa. But a piecemeal group of mobilizers largely driven through social media who guided their own supporters. So not just one group, several groups. So that meant fractures and power struggles. He said, appeared really quickly amongst the various mobilizers. You know, with with him and the the console, the console, controversial figure Pat King, you know, or the group uh, Canada Uni- Unity, he said he never read the latter's notorious memorandum of understanding that promised to overthrow the federal government. So. Pat King and in, in Unity Canada and others, uh, fascist groups, you know, they had, they had their own agenda. Now, Barber, he's not a goody two shoe. You know, he wants you. Throughout his testimony, you know, he wants you to believe that, you know, he's just an organizer. He was taking care of the truckers. He was doing this. He was doing that. But, you know, the commission, you know, pulls the skeletons out of his closet. He, too, much like Pat King, was a media troll on various platforms. Also being racist. But he says no longer that he's like that. 
Do you believe that people can change? Do we give them the benefit of the doubt? How he said he changes, you know, because of unity, because of the the support and people hugging and the love that he saw of, of people across Canada coming together in unity and in joy. Now makes them no longer racist. That's what he says. Now, there were a lot of power struggles, you know, and and a lot of things with, with Pat King. You know, um, Barber didn't want him. There's a couple other organizers didn't want him. And Tamara Lynch and, and, and Pat King, they had in suburb before the convoy went to Ottawa, in which um, uh, Lynch asked King not to go to Ottawa. By her saying, and these are her words, these are not my words, these are her words. You need to check your effing ego, and if you care about this movement at all, you will not go into Ottawa. That was her words. And Barbara was also asked about King's comments on social media where he implied Prime Minister Justo Trudeau would catch a bullet. Barbara said, Barber said King told him his previous comments had been taken out of context. How the hell is that taken out of context? How is that taken out of context? I watched the video. Nothing was taken out of context. Those were his exact words. Another uh, organizer, uh, Bullford, a convoy organizer, and a former RCMP officer, provided to police the document says that on February 6th, Bullford told police about a possible bomb threat that someone had been hired to place a bomb near a school, the Children's Hospital of Eastern Central Ontario, or at the 4017 overpass. Now this this former RCMP the other former RCMP officer really actually played a pretty good role for these organizers because being a former police officer he would generally know the tactics and the maneuvers or whatever the police would be looking at doing and he would be able to help these organizers counteract Now, Barber and, and like some of them, um, they're currently facing charges of counseling mischief, counseling intimidation, counseling 
to obstruct police, intimidation, and mischief for his role in the convoy. Tamara Lynch, Pat King, and others are facing those same charges. Now, this whole thing started, you know, back, um, I think it would be around the 14th or the 15th of January when the federal government mandated that all federal regulated industries, essential workers, truck drivers, must now be uh, fully vaccinated in order to return back into Canada you know, because throughout the, 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 the course of the pandemic, essential workers and truck drivers were, were freely to cross back and forth the borders between the United States and Canada. But <clears throat> what else was going on behind the scenes? The United States was also going to mandate all foreign nationals coming into the United States from Mexico and Canada have to show proof of vaccination. Now, people chose vaccination. So this is really, you know, Barbara's is really basically the straw that broke the camel's back. But then he... Go ahead and, and do this, this, this. in support of the truckers who who, who have to get vaccinated. So, this is how this all began. So during this three week period, this three week long hiatus, disorganized, unfunctional, display of, of rhetoric and bad behavior, you know, the police not really being able to do anything. So during that time of, of that, others decided that they're going to blockade border crossings in Coots, Alberta, along other borders in Western Canada, that means in the United States, Or 
Barber was asked if he was involved in any of those border blockades. He goes, no, we weren't smart enough to figure that one out. That makes sense. Government declares an emergency blocking truckers and essential workers back to Canada, um, slowing the trade. You know, it wasn't until we automated the big three got really upset. Know, with the saying to do Ontario, you know, invokes the Emergency Act for Ontario. Those border blockades then would be removed. I mean, much smaller scale than when you have, you know, over a thousand vehicles, not just transports, in the downtown Ottawa, in the residential areas, in business areas, intimidating, harassing, some even assaulting, Jumping up and down on the tomb of the unknown soldier, defecating on the war memorial, defacing the Terry Fox statue. You know, so these little border blockades, they were much smaller. They were easy enough to move. But when you have transport trucks and other vehicles, and then you have towing companies saying, no, we're not going to get involved in this, you know, because they don't want to see their workers injured. They don't want to see the equipment damaged, and they don't want to lose contracts. So how else were they going to get them, get them to, to leave? Because Tamara Lynch, in, in one of her, her media, well, she's up in front of the media talking, she says, we will be here for as long as it takes and not one day more until the federal government lifts all federal and provincial mandates and restrictions. Now, this, this was back in January. Every province had a timeline and hopefully those timelines would, would work out of when the, the, you know, the province was going to lift mandates or restrictions, you know, like masks and, and things like that. They weren't in any rush to do that. They had these dates put in place. It wasn't until just last month, October, the beginning of October, when the federal government, these were the last mandates and restrictions to go. 
was on October the 1st. So by Tamara Lynch saying we will not be here longer and not one more day, you know, necessary for, you know, how long it takes the government to lift these. So you, so what, you're going to be there from, from January all the way now to October. You think that you were going to be downtown Ottawa, the parliament buildings, disrupting the lives of the citizens of Ottawa? That, my friends, would never happen. There's a lot of just a lot of dysfunction when it came to the police. And, and, you know, people just were getting fed up. We just had enough. Even their support started to diminish. Because it just became chaotic and nonsense. It became an occupation. It became illegal. And you could clearly see that just the Ottawa Police Services could not do anything. See, the RCMP couldn't come into provincial territory and enforce the laws without the permission of the federal government. Even Ontario, you know, threw a few police officers at them. Here, you know, here's here's 10 more police officers. Maybe this will help you. Government enacting the Federal Emergency Act for its first time in its history. You can see that this, you know, was not going to, you know, the organizers, the protesters, they they were not gonna leave willingly. You know, they were bound and bent that they, that they were staying for however long it would take the federal government to lift all restrictions and mandates. So the Prime Minister of Canada invoked the Federal Emergency Act. So that means that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the RCMP, now can go in and, and enforce provincial laws and municipal laws. They can compel the towing trucking companies to remove those vehicles. And they can use whatever means necessary. And of course, in, in, you know, within reason to move these protesters out. 
Now, there's one interesting character. Um, I can bring this one up here. I think it is. Yeah, so... The freedom, the politics, control, and money, the many motivations of this of the so-called freedom, freedom convoy. Now, here's something that was, was interesting. I actually forgot about it. You know? Well, no, um, no, I wasn't. Uh, I do live in Ontario. I wasn't there, but Ottawa is only like six hours from where I live. So... Um, so there's something that, um, you know, was came, was, was kind of really interesting. Um, um, months before, you know, the thousands of protesters that rolled into Canada's capital with the freedom convoy, Canada unity founder, uh, Bowder had already staged a similar, but a smaller protest in Ottawa. His mini convoy of fewer than 100 protesters called the Con- the Convoy for Freedom arrived on October, in October 2021 to flout public health rules in stores and in restaurants and blockade streets in front of the Prime Minister's and the Governor General's office. So basically, they were down there just to go to intimidate and harass people. Right. I'm not going to follow your fucking rules. I'm not going to wear my mask in a restaurant. I'm not going to wear my mask in your store. Shove it up your ass. Is basically what this little mini protest was about. Now, I had thousands versus a hundred showing up. He said we'd still be there and most likely the MOU would have gotten the much-needed pressure tactic we're seeking about a rope to supporters on his Facebook page in December. No, actually, you wouldn't still be there. Now, only a few weeks later, he was working with a loose group of organizers who had never met one another to bring a much larger crowd of protesters to Ottawa. Now, talking about the large convoy coming across Canada from Alberta. So, the Federal Emergency Act um, supports um, the public disobedient or public order emergency, right? 
So the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau declared a public order emergency on February the 14th, more than two weeks after protesters entrenched themselves in downtown Ottawa. So they actually thought um, at one time that um, they could form a coalition with the governor general and other federal parties to overthrow the federal government, which, you know, the governor general is a public figure, um, she or he, you know, is a representative of Canada. She doesn't, she isn't any part of any party, right? So that would, that would never work. Keep clicking on the wrong button here. So, you know, and the other, uh, another testimony was the, the convoy's lawyer. And I was kind of struck by what, you know, he would, you know, why would anybody, you know, especially a lawyer, you know, when, when the federal government invoked the Federal Emergency Act, he's telling the organizers that, no, it's okay, you, you get out there and you keep protesting. You know, potentially even sacrificing their safety or putting them in danger. I mean, who in their right mind, a lawyer, knows damn well if a government invokes the Federal Emergency Act, it's time for you to go. Because you will be removed pretty much by any means necessary if that's what it came to. So I was kind of struck by that, that a lawyer would, would continue to entice them to keep protesting. And that's when more and more people were, you know, and the organizers were saying, hold the line, hold the line. The bad idea. Now, there is something like a $300 million class action lawsuit against the organizers you know, from the business association and, and the residents um, who had to endure their 
rowdiness, um, the blaring of the truck horns day and night, intimidation, harassment. You know, Pat King said in his his testimony the other day that, you know, so what? So what if, if the blaring of the horns bothered bothered the, the residents of Ottawa? You know, his, his idea, his thought is that, oh, we, we put up with the mandates and restrictions for over two years and, and, and you're complaining about two weeks of horn honking? Maybe someone ought to pull up a tractor trailer and park it on his front lawn there and just lay on the hair horn and see how long he's going to put up with that bullshit. And he thought it was funny. He's basically laughing on the stand. He thinks it's funny. Now, this guy's a real piece of work. I mean, you can go and you can Google, Google search Patrick King. Or you can go on YouTube and, and search Patrick King. And, and it's going to come up. It's going to show the, the inquiry. And you're gonna see, then you're gonna see him. You're gonna you'll be able to listen to his testimony. Because I'm not making I'm not making this shit up. He's literally sitting on on the stand, and, and you know he's laughing when he's answering the question. You know this guy's this guy is nothing but an asshole. The true meaning of the word asshole is what he is. He's unbelievable. Got a criminal record as long as his arm. Guy's just a dick. You know, this is the kind of this is the kind of of, of um, organizers that people were were supporting. You know, there on YouTube. I mean, you have to scroll a long ways to even find. Um, I think there. Because they're banned, like these organizers are banned from social media. You know, um, they still have to go to court sometime in in the next year to, 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 to face the charges. Now, there was um, another one I thought I had, um, I thought I had brought this. Oh, so now this is, this is what I want to talk about. So the $300 million lawsuit against the organizers. Now. Their, their lawyer for, for the uh, business community and for the citizens. Um, he's leading this potential class action lawsuit against the Freedom Convoy. And he wants to expand the list of, of defendants to include all truckers who occupied Ottawa earlier this year, as well as anyone who donated to the... F- donate it to the fund the protest and it's 
If successful, the legal maneuver could make the owners of approximately 400 trucks and tens of thousands of owners financially liable and for the share of the 300 million in damages the lawsuit claims. This is the lawyer for, for the business associations and, and the citizens of Ottawa. Now also wants to sue approximately 400 truck drivers, tens of thousands of, of donors financially liable for the share of the 300 million. You know, what also really struck me, you know, with, with all the, all the rhetoric and, and the behavior and the noise violations and the harassment and the intimidations, it took a citizen to get the courts to get an order to stop the blaring of the truck horns. A citizen, not the mayor, not the police chief, Not anybody from from uh, uh, their city council. A citizen. Seems to me at that time that nobody wanted to pull their thumbs out of their ass. There's something like 65 to 70 people who are going to be testifying at this in this inquiry that legally has to take place. I think it's something like they have 300 days after um, the federal emergency act is, is invoked. And all people like even the even the organizers, you know, have a standing. You know, they would be summoned to appear. They'll be taking a stand, giving their accounts. And so far, the ones that I've seen on there, you know, um, so Lich and, and Barber and this guy Derek so three out of the four so far that takes the stands are on the stands crying they're on the stand crying and you ask why are they crying they're not it's not a criminal court it's an inquiry and I ask myself why would why what what the hell are you crying about? You know, you want people to feel sorry for you. Well, I don't. And like I said, from the onset of this thing back in January and February, you know, when I talked about the truckers, 
the ones who are blockading the borders. Blocking their fellow truckers from going into the United States and coming back into Canada. Because they chose not to get vaccinated. And they'll tell you that, oh, the government took, took our job away from us. Because, you know, they mandated vaccines for, for essential workers and truckers. Now I can't cross into the United States. Yes, the whole thing was, was very vengeful, very vengeful. So now they, they, you know, they want you to think that now they can't work. I've been driving a truck for three and a half decades. Crossing in and out of the United States, you know, um, I'm, you know, home every day now. I don't do long haul trucking anymore. I have been home for over six years, going on probably seven years. So they want you to believe that, oh, now we can't work. Well, what a crock of shit that is. You can work domestic. There's no shortage of work in the trucking industry. You don't have to, you don't have to cross the border in order to get work and be a truck driver. You know, I mean, there's a thousand, thousands of American truckers who don't cross into Canada. They crisscross all over the United States. They work domestic. So there is no excuse to say, oh, oh, I can't work now because, you know, I can't cross the border anymore because, you know, I got to be vaccinated. They want you to feel sorry for them. They want you, they wanted you to cry an ocean, a lake, a stream, a river. I didn't shed a tear. I've been in this, in this industry long enough to fucking know better. And what is and what isn't. So these truckers complaining are just full of shit. So, I mean, I mean, if this lawyer for, for the, for, for the, for the business, uh, uh, sector and, and for the residents, I mean, if, if, if he gets the, the go ahead from the courts, You know, tens of thousands of donors will be financially liable for $300 million, 400 truck drivers, 500 drivers, 600 drivers, I don't care. They'll all be liable. Trucking companies. Trucking companies as well. Because these owner operators, in, in which because they, they were owner operators, because the trucking companies they drove for didn't want their company trucks involved. So it was the owner operator. So you can, if you're an owner operator, you can take your truck wherever the hell you want and go work for anybody you want to go work for.
there's no shortage of work. Like I said, I could quit my trucking job tomorrow and go get another trucking job today and go get a trucking job tomorrow. I know a lot of people in the industry. I know a lot of companies. If I walk in their door, they won't let me leave. Because they want me to drive for them. There is something, <laughs> there's, uh, what else is here? Oh, yeah, so this application was filed in the Ontario Superior Court. This was like, just like last week. And um, they identify as the operator of an Ontario trucking company and a new a Brunswick businessman as a representative of the two defendant classes. You know, this guy here, um, he donated he donated something like seventy five thousand dollars on or about February the 9th to give send go because remember go uh, go uh, go fund me um, shut down that that campaign there's something like I think there's something like just a little over five million in escrow meaning that you know, the courts are hanging on to this money. So we have, oh, um, thanks, you know. Um, you appreciate my message on this. You, you live in Ottawa, and it was awful. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, just, just seeing this, you know, um, you know, over the news and, and everything, I thought to myself, I mean, how long are they going to let this go on? You know, um, so, yeah, I mean, so, and of course, so after GoFundMe, um, you know, canceled the funding and there's something five, six million dollars held in escrow anyways by the courts because of this uh, potential class action lawsuit of over three hundred million dollars. And then, so they, they go to Give, Send, Go, an, another platform, you know. Um, and, of course, cryptocurrency and, and all this, this, this kind of shit. But um, the Federal Emergency Act stopped all that. You know, they raised between the two platforms, they raised between the two flat platforms something like 25 million dollars crazy absolutely crazy now tamara lynch on the stand today she never thought in her wild dreams that you know she like she was talking to one of the organizers and she says well how much money should you know people want to donate and what's what's our target and one of the organizers said like 200,000, said it at 200,000. And she's like, whatever, you know, we're not going to see that kind of money, you know? So she said it around a hundred thousand, but she was only thinking, you know, potentially we'd be going that her estimate that what she would imagine what they would 
would be able to raise was like $20,000. And between give, send, go, and if you still included, you know, GoFundMe and the crypto and all that, it was like $25 million. That is insane. Right, so get a send go to support and, and you know encourage and facilitate the protest. You know, one person donating, you know, seventy five thousand dollars. That's crazy. Now, what's not really surprising to me, you know, what well, kind of kind of was kind of surprising to me, that um, you know something like I think it was. A lot of the money, most of the money came from Canada. I think they were saying, you know, almost 80% came from Canada and others from the United States and other parts and other parts of the world. You know, you know, at first I thought most of it, you know, was coming from the United States and other parts of the world, but it was right here. You know, so they're looking. So, like I said, this lawyer is looking into uh, to um, make others uh, responsible, and you know, be on the hook uh, for a share of that three hundred million dollars in in uh, damages. Now, whether the courts will allow it, I have no idea. But this is, you know, far from over. I think, uh, I don't know, I think we're into 16 days now. I think it's supposed to run, oh, we're looking at 35 days, something like that. Because um, there's, there's still, you know, a lot of people to to go through. Uh, there's 65 to 70 people to take the stand in this inquiry. You know, and what I see now and, you know, I hear the testimonies and I've read the testimonies and, you know, from, like I said, from the beginning of the show, from the RCMP to the uh, OPP to the Ontario or uh, the, the Ottawa Police Services, you know, and then from the citizens, you know, um, And, and other people, and now, you know, rolling into the organizers. Um, I'm not sure um, who's left of the organizer, how many organizers actually showed up to testify. Um, there still might be a couple. There, there, there actually, there is another one, um, but he, he's... I think he's got to do it video because apparently he's in jail. One of the organizers. So it would probably be video streamed. So he's facing some other serious charges of why he's in jail. 
So it kind of just gives you a, a painting, a picture of, you know, from, um, call them extremists, just call them activists, um, couple of them racist, you know, I mean, there's no defamation of character here. I mean, it's not hard. It's not hard to go and, and do a little bit of re research of, of who these people are and, and watch their videos and their racial remarks that they make. You know, this, you know, going back to the beginning of, of this so-called Freedom Convoy, it started with two truck drivers. And it, and it just, you know, just putting the feel out there on social media. And then these Barber and Lynch and, and uh, Pat King and, you know, all these far-right radicals, you know, jumping on the backs of the truckers for their own political agenda. That's how this all began. And here we are today with a national inquiry, you know, into the use of the Federal Emergency Act. There's more to come, ladies and gentlemen. Lots more to come. So I want you to have a good night, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, and before I go, um, I don't know uh, when you signed into Podbean and um, at the top of my screen here on my monitor, um, it says, I think it's Sunday... This Sunday at 10 p.m., um, they're doing a maintenance upgrade, Podbean, from 10 p.m. until something like 6 a.m. or something like that Monday morning. So anytime between those hours, um, Podbean, your app, podcasts, and that um, won't be working. So just a reminder that you know to you know, podcast and, and you the listeners that Sunday at 10 p.m. until Monday morning, you know, uh, they're doing a system maintenance. So this is what Thursday, so we got time. I mean, we got time to to um, uh, to get together and. Um, talk about things. Um, of course, right now, you know, I find, you know, and this is terrible. I, I, I was, you know, it, it really is terrible. Um, this, this um, inquiry into the use of the Federal Emergency Act is kind of more so getting a backseat to what is really a really huge story and you know with with the uh uh the teachers union and you know with the support uh workers for teachers in the government um you know now the ontario government is using the notwithstanding clause and um 
making their strike. Now it would be illegal for them to strike, taking away their really basically taking away their 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 collective bargaining rights, their their strike rights. You know, the the um, charter rights and freedoms. You know, um, my my personal opinion on the notwithstanding clause in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, it shouldn't be there. Doug Ford, the Premier of Ontario, has threatened to use it several times. But this time he used it. You know, the, the, the Quebec premier has used it a couple of times. You know, he's using, he's using the notwithstanding clause on the French language. And he's used the, the notwithstanding clause on religion attire in, in working in public, uh, uh, in schools and in, in federal government or provincial government and stuff like that. Um, where people wear religious clothing or whatever they whatever they you know whatever it is, now they can't. This notwithstanding clause has no place in the Charter Rights and Freedoms. It has no place at all. Why it's there, I have no idea. You know, because the Charter of Rights and Freedoms for is for all Canadians. And that Charter of Rights and Freedom, or, you know, that, that notwithstanding clause, you know, can remove your rights. And that, that, that notwithstanding clause uh, needs to go. It really does. You know, even the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, calling on Doug Ford that this is just not, you know, this is just um, an overreach of the provincial government, you know, using this notwithstanding clause because why? Because either one of you is you're not getting your, getting your way, but that's part of collecting collective bargaining, is it not? It's part of the process. You know how painful it is to come to an agreement on a contract. And the union says, well, well, well we're going to strike. And the government goes, no, you're not. Because we'll just legislate you back to work and we'll, we'll impose a contract upon you less way 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 less than what you're asking and we'll use the notwithstanding clause and that'll stand for five years so your three dollars and 25 cent raise now might be a dollar 25 for five years I think it was even, you know, I'm totally against it, but it prematurely, I mean, they're in legal strike position in the first place. 
They're in legal strike position back in, in August. You know, you had the rest of August and beginning of September to figure it out. Here we are in November. They say they're gonna do they say they're gonna strike tomorrow. But under under the rules of the notwithstanding clause, you know, each individual can be fined up to four thousand dollars a day. The union can be fined up over five hundred thousand dollars a day. So there'll be no school tomorrow for Catholic schools, public schools, and maybe into next week. And unfortunately, now with this with this legislative bill twenty eight and the notwithstanding clause makes it illegal. Now we have to wait and see what happens. So lots more on that stuff coming. There's lots more coming on this inquiry. You know, um, lots more people to have their say, you know, before the commission. And at the end of the day, um, we'll find out whether or not it was necessary for the federal government to use the federal emergency act so we'll keep you posted and this is thursday um we got tomorrow it's going to be interesting for this next one uh part of the uh, organizers to be testifying and um I really didn't get into uh, what others had to say. There was one particular one I was trying to find while I was talking to you, but I'll find it because I have it and I'll find it and uh, what um, he had to say and um, tomorrow's testimony from this other organizer. So Saturday morning. Oh, shit. I can't do it Saturday morning. So we have till Sunday, 10 p.m. So... Um, Saturday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll get into more of what was, uh, what is going on. And I'm sure tomorrow too. I mean, because this, this, um, this teachers support staff walking off to job illegally tomorrow there's lots more to come to talk about that so saturday night 9 p.m if you can join me that'd be great if you can't i understand but thank you for coming out this evening and joining me here on the truckers podcast enjoy the rest of your evening ladies and gentlemen tomorrow is friday end of the week finally and uh yeah we'll get together saturday at 9 p.m 
This is the Truckers Podcast. I'm your host, Ben from Ontario, Canada. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good night.